All right, welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon TCG. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Liverpool results. We're going to dive into a quick MetaShare study regarding the top 16 from Liverpool. And we're going to hit home on some news regarding some later Scarlet Violet release dates overseas. And then we're going to jump into a very cool listener question that I didn't think we were going to have. And then we have a huge patreon update for all of our people who are currently in the patreon and might want to be in the future uh with me today as always is my host justin justin (laughs) i was not sure you're gonna say my name so i just went and said it for you how you doing man i'm good man how are you oh i'm good i'm getting through um kind of a busy crazy weekend um my my kid got some some vaccines for just her age and uh she ended up getting like crazy fever and stuff from that so a little bit of a tough weekend um she did start getting a little better towards the end of the weekend so i was able to make it to a crown zenith legal um etb case tournament um in preparation for orlando coming up um over in tampa um had a blast doing that um ended up going to top eight and we decided to do a top eight split so that was pretty awesome walked away with two etbs um nice. and yeah it was just it was, it was a good time got to uh practice a deck that i'm considering for for uh orlando and with the results from this weekend I, I it's a little higher up on my tier so um so we're happy about that and then just getting into a busy busy week of work so it's um you know life how about you man uh i'm good i played a little bit of pokemon last week at uh tuesday locals i took uh, that Art Coco Flying Pikachu deck that I've been kind of raving about in the Discord. And I love the way that, that deck pilots, dude. It's It just feels like it has really good matchups into a lot of the good decks right now. Uh, especially when you don't prize your uh, Flying Pikachu on back-to-back games, which I was, <laughs> I was terribly fearful of because I only run a 1-1 line. So, uh, But so far it's panned out. We'll, we'll see how it uh, how it moves forward. Obviously it won't be the play for my next regional, which is in May. Because we'll be in a completely different format. But people don't want to talk about that format quite yet. They want to talk about the results from the Liverpool-England Regional. And this results recap is powered by Ultimate Guard. When it's time to upgrade your TCG storage or just to resleeve your favorite deck, be sure to check out Ultimate Guard's premium accessories. Alright man, we had 757 Masters at this event. But what won the whole thing? Um, so your boy guessed it right with Mew VMAX winning the entire event, um, by, piloted by Leon Kesselring going 13-1-3. and three. Um, pretty, pretty standard DTE list, except for a few missing pieces that are kind of, um, normal to this list. Um, you know, we're, we're so used to seeing this Silene Palpad loop and, uh, we don't see it here. Yeah, this list, I, I mean, it's not unorthodox for Mew to kind of cut a few things here and there to increase consistency, but what this list capitalized on is having seven outs to stadiums in the form of two Lost Vacuum, two Lost City, one, uh, two Path to the Peak, and one Collapse Stadium. I <laughs> have been pretty firm in the camp of running five stadiums in things like Duraludon. Uh, because Path to the Peak is just so prevalent and easy to tech into decks. 
Uh, but something like this, it just seems like you never get stuck behind path. You get to put path down and prevent yourself from getting trapped beyond basically every game, I would assume. Uh, but the thing that stands out the most to me in this deck is running two Judge, two Boss, one Marnie, one Roxanne. Like you had mentioned before, Silene has found its way into a deck like this. But the DTE build was consistently bouncing between like two or three Marnie plus Judge. And I feel like they trimmed so far back on supporters here. And it made so much room for this deck to just pilot at a pretty volatile rate. Yeah, I mean, especially with all the items that it's got going on too, a lot of them are really easy to burn. And I mean, so you're just constantly paring your hand down. And if you're seeing so many cards per turn, I mean, you could technically see almost half your deck in one turn if you really wanted to. So, I mean, you're more than likely going to hit those couple one-offs. Um, so, I mean... I've I've always been a fan of consistency and running like more counts of supporters, but in something like this, I can see where it works. Um, and there's just a lot of cool plays that you can do with this too to pare things down. Like the fact that they're running a collapse stadium, they could literally collapse stadium, get rid of one of their own damaged Mew V Max potentially, lost vacuum in it away, put another one down, and then they're just back off to the races on genesecting and filling their hand back up and paring it down again. It's just like it's a crazy constant loop. But, I mean, it, it worked for Leon here to a, a crazy first-place finish. Yeah, this uh, this deck is cool. You know, again, with the DTE path build, uh, you're really only running four energies, uh, which is a super unlike Mew because before DTE it was like, hey, you're in a hunf- you ran a handful of basic psychic energy, and then you ran your fusion strike energy. So because this deck just has so much natural draw, uh, it's pretty easy for you to kind of fiddle around with only playing four energies and pretty safely without the Silene and the Palpad. So, uh, GG's, this is a super sick finish. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the deck that I pick, but <laughs> I'm happy one of us picked it right. <laughs> Can't all be winners. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, especially not me. Um, second place, we're going to take a look at Stefan Ivanov, who we have talked about before on a player profile. Uh, they played Hisuian Gudra V-Star, but the Lost Box variant, not the uh, Arceus um, variant that we saw in Salt Lake City with uh, Al- Albernati. Uh, really cool list. You know, you're running a really consistent 3-3 line of Gudra, the one of Drapion that was supposed to help them win the Mew matchup, but unfortunately didn't tilt it so hard in their direction. Uh, three boss, double Roxanne, which seems like overkill, but I totally understand the merit because even though you're not taking knockouts with Gudra, you're preventing, you know, large targets from being able to take one-hit knockouts on this uh, slippery snail-looking guy. So you might be able to Roxanne on back-to-back, if not like one-turn skip turns, and I think that that's very, very powerful, especially against other like Lost Box decks that might be playing something like Dragonite V. Yeah, I was gonna say the that that's kind of my thought on it is just the fact that your tanking hits so so much with Gudra. I mean, you and I are both fans of Gudra. Um, you have that potential to do it back to back. And I mean, if your opponent has an out to the first Roxanne, like and say they talk, like get a professor's research or something off that, well, imagine getting hit with a second one. I mean, that's just that's got to be extremely devastating. Um, another cool thing we see in here is they're playing a three count of the Temple of Sinnoh. Um, that card is just, it's starting to see more and more play because it just, it's, it's a really good counter to Lugia, especially if they're, they're whiffing their, um, their Pumpkaboo or Counter Stadium. So it just kind of shuts that deck down 
ever so much, you know, or that much more. Um, and like I said, we've both been fans of Gudras. Uh, this deck got popularized by the Sosa brothers um, at the last regional here in the U.S. Um, at San Diego, and they didn't do so hot in day two, but Stefan Ivanov took it. They kind of reinvented it a little bit and took it to a second-place finish. Super, super cool. Um, you know, I, I thought when this set came out that the Lost Box version wasn't going to see any play whatsoever, and the fact that it got that far is, is really cool. I mean, I kind of wrote off the Lost Box version, honestly, because I just thought the Arc Gudra list was better, but obviously it's not. Um, this is super powerful, and being able to power up a Gudra in one turn and just swing, I mean, that's that's always going to be strong. Absolutely, and, and it's cool because if you have two Gudra out, you don't need to dedicate energy and split the two. Being able to just Raihan to one, go into your deck, grab that Mirage Gate, and accelerate to that Gudra, it's incredibly powerful. Probably a little bit more powerful in something Thornton-flavored, but you can't Thornton and Raihan at the same time, so the same merit can't be applied. Um, what I wanted to point out is that this is one of the few Lost Box decks that doesn't run VIP Pass at all. It runs four Quick Ball and four Capture Energy. Could there be something there? Is VIP Pass something that's stifling the Lost Boxes, or is this just a deck that doesn't have that crazy explosive potential? And you want to slowly build your resources. I think it's it's honestly deck builder's choice. Um, I mean, this this weekend at the the Crown Zenith tournament I was at, I played against a lost box player that seemed every time he comfied, it was a battle VIP pass. So he just was like, it was instant. Okay, that's going to the lost zone. I don't need it after turn one. I mean, it was just like it's a perfect burnable card, but at the same time, it can be a dead card after turn one if. You know, you're you're relying on variants at that point. You know, not drawing into it or top decking it or something like that. So, it's a it's an extremely powerful card if you get it turn one, but it can be a dead card. So Stefan probably thought, you know, let me have more consistent cards for longer games, especially since I'm going for a longer game with having Gudra and tanking hits and things like that. So that's probably the thought, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, and I I tend to agree. I think it is definitely one of those deck builder things. Uh, but GG Stefan, really cool to see them uh, place very high at another um, overseas event. We're going to step into our shout-outs. Uh, when it comes to deck building, there's definitely no one more threatening to any standard format than Sander Watchsick. Playing these Snorlax, Flying Pikachu, Evelto Control deck, you know, it's kind of whack because, you know, Sander's finally playing a deck that could take prizes in a format <laughs> like this. That seems seems very unlike them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he always has such creative things. There's always, you know, kind of similar things. Like we see the four count of the evil tall that removes the special energies, which is just a, honestly a great card in this meta right now um, with Lugia and Reggie's and all kinds of special energy decks running around. I guess it doesn't really help in Reggie's too much because they just cycle it back. But um, I digress. The You know, it's just it's really cool to see what he comes up with and it's always if you hear he's going to be at a tournament it's always all eyes on him and he always has the element of surprise and it's just it's really cool and we're seeing um you know instead of the single eldegoss in here where he normally does the eldegoss loop we're actually seeing two this time so he's just more consistently able to do that you know in case he's not taking prizes with flying pikachu he's able to make he's just going to outlast you in the long run he's going to loop his deck over and over and over again and you can't do anything about it and it's you know and that's what sander does right and it's cute because you know with the speed lightning energy 
you're comboing the electromagnetic radar Regieleki very well because you're able to draw cards, thin the deck, put the one card you need back into your hand, which promotes this line where they're like, yeah, one trekking shoes is fine. One crushing hammer is fine. One echoing horn, one yell horn, totally fine. I don't need to play high counts of these because that's not the purpose of the deck. And it just seems like this list is very scary. It looks very hard to pilot, but it's got answers to just about everything in this format right now. Yeah, and I I will say I did read a tweet somewhere. I can't remember the exact wording on it from Sander saying that he actually submitted a wrong deck list for this tournament. Um, and it was pretty much the same list except for a couple cards changed out where um, I believe it was Stefan actually asking him about why just the one crushing hammer, and it was originally supposed to be something else. Um, I think it was maybe he said a fourth speed lightning or something like that, but um, even with submitting the wrong deck list, he still took it to a top eight finish, uh, which just shows his skill. You know, it's, It wasn't even his exact 60 that he was wanting to play and still piloted it all the way to eighth place. Yeah, bonkers. Absolutely horrifying to look at from afar. Uh, I guess I could be uh, consider myself lucky that I don't play over there. Um, And then I had to squeeze this deck in here because I think it's just so cool to see someone play a deck that they are interested in playing, and that's the 60th place. uh, Sherem Control, or not Sherem Control, Sherem Snorlax, uh, deck piloted by Joe Yates. Uh, He's actually a friend of one of our Discord members, which I also think is a really cool feature. Uh, But you're powering up Snorlax with the unfazed fat ability that allows it to just not take... um, it's not affected by the effects of your opponent's attacks. And the Cherubi also has the same ability built in as well. So this is just something that hits for 180 damage very <laughs> consistently, has a tremendous amount of HP. You're giving up one prize at a time. Yeah, it puts itself to sleep after uh, it attacks. You know, if you flip double heads, you wake up. But it, this just seems like a super innovative deck and further proves that if you like an archetype, you can play it at the highest level and see success. Yeah, especially if you're really practiced with the deck too, and you know it in and out. I mean, that's that will take you really far sometimes too, because you know, you know, how can I get out of certain situations and things like that? But yeah, I mean, you're expecting to either get knocked out or get scoop scoop up the Snorlax every turn. So I mean, why not hit hard every time, even if you do have to hit double heads, because. I said you're either going to get knocked out or scoop it up and start the loop all over. So I mean, it's just it's really cool to see the innovation here um, and how far that that Joe got as well too. Yeah, super duper cool. I'd love to see more things like this in the future. Obviously, a whole regional can't consist of like Frostmoth box, um, Sherem Snorlax, and Lightning box, but it's cool to squeeze a couple of these in and the fact that they made it on stream with it as well too it just shows that there's a lot of other people out there in the game who are excited about stuff like this yeah exactly and that about wraps it up for the regional results we're going to skip the player profile this week and we're going to dive into the metashare study uh, the metashare study is brought to you by inked gaming Ink gaming has a wide variety of custom play mats dice bags face masks sleeves dice and deck boxes when you use the code PCSPOD10 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order. So now we're looking at the Liverpool Regionals Top 16. You've got 6 Lugia, 3 Mew, 2 Lost Gudra, 1 Lost Ray, 1 Reggie, and Sander. Uh, is this a testament to players not wanting to play Lugia? Did this event favor the deck builder? 
what kept the numbers more diverse in top 16? So I really think that you, you still see a handful of Lugia, but at the same time, I think we're finally starting to get to a point where, one, you do have a lot of top players that kind of, they and you see them talk about it and post about it, that they just don't want to play Lugia mirrors all day. And I mean, I get that 100%. I, I would hate to play mirrors all day long. So playing something different, you know, I, I see the merit in that as well. I do think we're also getting to a point where people are starting to realize even Lugia's power, even though Lugia's power is so strong, there are still many ways to get around it. There's, there is variance in this card game where um, they can just brick and, you know, you can win win over on them and stuff. And there are other, are other decks that are just fast and strong, just like Lugia. So, I mean, you put a good player behind a good deck that's not Lugia, and they're going to take it far um, and beat those Lugias, even if the Lugia deck is favored. I mean... There's, there's never been a deck that is a 100% nothing can ever beat this ever deck. And if it is, they start banning cards because then there's just, it's not fun at that point. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's just kind of, it's a blend of both. People don't want to play mirror matches all day and people are starting to figure out ways around it as well too. Right. I tend to agree. I, one thing I want to mention is I feel like every time we have an overseas event, obviously, you know, we're based out of the U.S. We get a lot of our influence from decks played in Japan, how they come across and how they, you know, tech out or become more consistent is just dependent on the player and how they play with it. I think that EU is very much so in a similar pool where, yes, there are really good decks that are played at a specific 60 and they you know they just have really really consistent results and i feel like there is now a larger pool in an event overseas especially less than a thousand players where a lot of cool stuff can rise to the top but at the same time it just depends on how you build it because it's still the same common denominator you got your lost box you got your mew you got your lugia a little bit of reggie sprinkled in here those are very consistent you know the one or two or three tech cards that you put in there just prove your uh, ability to navigate the field in terms of what you think the meta is going to look like i think that this consists of a lot of lists that have tremendous amount of answers and consistency and with vikavolt just recently winning seems like these are some decks that definitely take an l to something like that and they just assumed that's not going to be that's not going to be played and I'm going to take something a little bit more consistent and just go ham. And that's proof with Leon's first place Mew deck where they're like, you know what? I'm going to put a couple of draw supporters in here, but I'm going to make everything consistent just to have that explosive first turn or second turn and then control the board state from there. Uh, and that's just kind of my thoughts on how we ended up in this top 16 that might have been a little less Lugia, but still a tremendous amount of diversity. Right, and I'll and I'll add to that as well too. One of the you know, and and I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but a lot of times when a regional happens, um, a lot of average players will go and they'll take look at the top four list and they'll copy paste those and they'll play that exact sixty at the next regional, thinking this is just a really good deck, but they don't take into consideration the pilot as well too. So, a lot of these top players, um, and just from conversations I've had with local to Florida top players and stuff, when a finals happens at regionals, they'll actually 
not really even think about like they'll they'll think about some of these top decks that that place you know top four and things like that depending the deck depending situations and they kind of almost write that deck off a little bit because they're like okay the average player is going to pick this deck up and try to play it whereas a skilled player was the one that took it to this finish and they're not going to do as well because they're not as skilled with the deck and so i'm not going to have to worry about that as much because it's not going to be as skilled of a player playing it so it's kind of like it's it's how we've joked about in the past like uh countering the counter and stuff like that it's it's almost like the opposite of that it's like okay that was that was the deck that all these people are going to take the exact 60 and try to play i'll maybe put like one tech in my deck around it but i'm not gonna super stress about it because a bunch of average players are going to pick it up they're going to fumble it they're not going to have enough practice and not know the deck in and out like the finalists did and they're going to end up at the bottom tables and it does end up happening quite a bit and you do have a few people that sneak through there with you know good finishes because they take a deck that maybe is a little more streamlined than something like a Vikavolt Aerodactyl because that deck is you know taking that one for instance that one is such a um, thought-provoking and um, strategy heavy deck and they're just not gonna they're not gonna sequence right they're not gonna you know you know, prize count and stuff like that and just or uh, memorize their prizes and just be off a few cards so it's it is something to take into consideration with that aspect too is they look at that and they go okay cool i i do need to worry about it but i don't need to worry about it as much because now it's a known deck it's not an uncommon threat it's or unknown threat it's it's out there now and a bunch of unexperienced players are going to copy the exact 60 and fumble I think, and I think that uh, that hits the the nail on the head for sure. You know, overall, I think that this is a good sign. I know that the next event we're going to talk about in Orlando is probably going to be pretty Lugia heavy because that just seems to be the pattern. But Crown Zenith will be legal for Orlando, so who knows? Uh, yeah, there were, and that basically. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was going to say there was a lot of Lugia at um at this case tournament I was at this past weekend, so. You know, if it's a uh, if it's considered the best deck of the format, why not play it? Um, we're gonna skip the card spotlight. We got to make some room at the end of this pod for some important stuff, but we will jump into the news. Uh, March tenth, we get a subset for well, we don't. Japan gets a subset uh, for Scarlet Violet uh, called Triple Beat. I have no idea how to predict what that's gonna be. When I think of Triple Beat, I immediately assume Rillaboom, and I feel like that's just, I don't know, off-theme for Scarlet Violet entirely. Uh, any thoughts on what Triple Beat might be? That Honestly, that was my exact thought as well, too, is Rillaboom, just because he was one of the starters for this last set, um, a Sword and Shield, but, I mean, at the same time, yeah, you think... Uh, it, it can't be, because when we go into a new set, they normally they focus on the new Pokemon, not the previous set Pokemon, so... That would be my guess, but I I doubt that's the actual um, the actual theme behind it. Yeah, I tend to agree, and because it is a March tenth release, and this appears to be the only public release date for another Scarlet Violet set, their Scarlet Violet base set might very well be the entirety of the U.S. set that we get when we get Scarlet Violet. So it's going to be a pretty small set. Yeah, I mean, people have been clamoring and talking forever about getting closer and closer and on the same pan or same uh, playing field as Japan. Um, we, I mean, we still have rotation is gapped out, but it's gotten a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and 
you know, next step is start getting maybe sets similar in release and things like that as well, too. So it's a possibility. Um, I mean, only the future, you know, no one knows the future. So we'll see. No, it's true. You know, maybe Triple Beat has to do with the three starters, their final evolutions getting EX cards because there are three of them. Um, but that's about the only prediction I guess I could have in regards to that. Um, April 14th, Snow Hazard and Clayburst will be the next larger set in Japan featuring the treasure legendaries from the video game. I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names, uh, but they, they're cool looking. There's like a cat, a mule looking thing a fish, and the other one, <laughs> which I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, I would assume that it means that they're getting title cards in the form of uh, something EX, probably not terrestrial uh, trait cards, but they, they're supposed to be you know amply represented on the artwork of the, uh, the set itself. So that would be kind of cool. And then this next one's kind of a big deal. On June 16th, we should be expecting a set featuring Blastoise EX, Charizard EX, and Venusaur EX called Pokemon Card 151. Uh, this should be the first set featuring Kadabra after a long, long time. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this will be, uh, this is pretty much like, uh, not gen- or yeah, generations all over again. You're going to have all the, the collectors come out and buy this up, and it's going to be worth pennies on the dollar at first, and then two years from then it's going to be worth a million dollars just like generations is because it's got the original 151 pokemon in it and our original looking cards and stuff so it should be a cool set for sure but i have a feeling it's going to have that same generations effect where i was literally giving generations packs away for like a dollar when i would get them because i was just like i don't want any more generations and now the packs and et or boxes and stuff are stupid in price it's crazy yeah, it is pretty bonkers for sure. Uh, just to reiterate, Pokemon Card 151 will be a Japan set. It could be a portion of our U.S. set, but I would imagine with the marketing, with a Charizard being in it, with Kadabra making its uh, way back into the TCG, they'll probably market it very heavy in something along the lines of a Shining Fates or a Crown Zenith, if you will. And it does come at a pretty ample time where it seems to be somewhere smack dab in the first quarter of scarlet violet in the u.s set how this translates one way or another i'm completely unsure all i could do is speculate uh but i want to ask you a question just in regards to set releases did you did you buy a lot of sword and shield base set um real quick i want to correct myself it's evolutions not generations on that but then going back to your question um i yes and no so i've always i Back in the day, I kind of bought packs, but I've always been like, I've just always bought singles since I've kind of gotten back into competitive play, which was 2016, 17, because my luck has always been really bad opening packs. Um, so I just would always just buy the cards I needed for decks and collecting at the time when I was collecting. Um, so no, realistically, because I didn't buy them. If I, if I won the packs in a tournament, I would open them. But um, as far as buying them, I did not buy a lot. Gotcha. Um, what if you? Would it be more appetizing if you cut Scarlet Violet, not Scarlet Violet, uh, Sword and Shield base set down by let's say 70, 80 cards? Bought it all at MSRP and just taken into consideration how many staples we still play with in our standard format right now. 
that are from that set? I mean, looking if I had the the foresight that of knowing what cards were going to be crazy playable, there there is a difference. Like I probably would have bought more um, because I mean at the time I I remember Drizzles were next to nothing. I was giving kids them to build like decks just to play for fun at, at locals and stuff because I had a bunch in my extra bulk box that I was just and I would give them away and then all of a sudden everyone's in play playing Inteleon decks and they're like five dollars a piece and. So um, stuff like that and scoop up nets, you know, capture energy. No one knew at the time that those were going to be crazy expensive. Um, so it's just, it, yeah, I don't know. I, if you told me that there's sets that are specifically playable, like this this starter pack is or this base set is going to be nothing but playable cards or, you know, what we know is going to be playable cards. And I'd probably be more apt to buy it because I'm not going to get fluff. You know, the biggest thing that I hated was, oh, hey, I need this. $10 VMAX and I opened three packs which was $9 plus tax um, actually more than that That's a, you're never never getting $3 packs um, which was more than the VMAX and would get three non-hollow rares and you know and one maybe one playable trainer that's worth a quarter so it's just like I don't know I, yes but at the same time I'm just still in the boat of singles but that's because I'm competitive focus first then collector casual you know stuff like that yeah um and the point i'm trying to get to and i know this seems super like i don't know shallow no i don't want to call it shallow it just seems like i'm beating around the bush in terms of what i'm trying to get to i find myself looking through super early bulk to find cards that have just now become mildly more relevant things like big parasol obviously that came out of darkness of blaze but no one used it from basically Darkness of Blaze until Giratina came out. Um, and now it's even more prevalent because things like Ebeltal, you need that card to survive those types of things. And I have this theory that the new Scarlet Violet base set's going to be one you definitely want to chase after. Um, there just appear to be so many support pieces that are coming in this set that were kind of hidden in plain sight. I, I was taking a look at all of the cards that, that were you know rumored, released already, and so on and so forth. It just seems like you're getting a lot of additives to an already pretty diverse standard format. We lose a whole bunch of things, but in terms of deck building, opening a bunch of Skylight Violet base set will get you a bunch of your um, the bands that you need, the competitive band, I think that's what it's called, your, your nest balls. Um, Mirrodon appears to be a very, very good consistency card. Uh, Corridon is powering up a lot of fighting attackers to help us combat all of this uh, uh, this lightning that seems to be pretty prevalent in the future. Um, that Oligoinki or whatever it's called. I, no, it's, it's the Oink Cologne. That's what it's called. That's going to be like the new Palkia, in my opinion. And I think that it's going to be very, very important for players and collectors alike to be very aware of what's coming out in this new Scarlet Violet base set and buy plenty you know if it's singles that's great if it's packs that's cool i think a lot of this is going to be playable i i see very little bulk in stuff like this because of the way that this meta is kind of transforming yeah and a trick that um i myself and my teammates here locally have kind of um picked up on after we got uh, i forget the exact year um that it happened but when rotation got announced and there was no gusting other than custom catchers and we all got 
burn trying to pick up custom catchers for nine dollars a piece is um anytime like a set comes out we try to to our best ability um, and this is just good practice for um, any deck builder on a competitive level on a um, just going to local league level a casual level um, try to keep a couple of each card um, in a bulk box and just hold on to it because i mean at the end of the day even if it stays bulk whenever it rotates you can still trade it in for bulk um, and then if it happens to become extremely playable and it goes way up in price, you're already sitting on a couple. Um, and then also just helps too for our team. We do it, we like we all do it, so we all have like boxes with playable cards. So say I'm out of something, I always like ask one of my teammates, hey, do you guys have this before I go pick it up? And we, we exchange cards a lot, but um, it helps our group, but it also helps us like not be stressing out. Like I know parasols, I had a bunch of them randomly, and then when we needed parasols, well, guess who had a bunch of parasols for everyone? Um, one of my buddies had a bunch of trekking shoes, and I needed trekking shoes, and I hadn't gotten any or opened any packs. And I was like, before I go buy some, who's got trekking shoes? And they handed me four trekking shoes. So it's just it's good practice for um, if you're playing competitively, um, or like I said, or even casually, to keep a lot of those cards around. I mean, obviously, if you're sitting on like 20 copies of something. Yeah, feel free to go bulk out 10 of them or something. But I like to, if I can, minimum keep four four copies of each card if I can um, in a box, and I keep it all organized by like alphabetical and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I absolutely hate sorting bulk, but I'd rather do that once in a while than have to go spend ten dollars on a card that was ten cents two weeks ago. Yeah, I think that that's huge, um, and I'm not trying to play fortune teller here, but I just, you know, my spidey senses are tingling and telling me the Scarlet Violet base set. Because it is so small, because the pull rates are automatically going to be better, it might be pretty important to ball out on this set. However, you card pack openers, you know, see fit. Uh, but we definitely dragged the news topic out really long. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's time for us to dive into the listener question. Uh, Nicket405 on Instagram DM'd me and said, you know, what are both of your favorite decks of all time? Um, and, you know, it's kind of an abbreviated. I, it's kind of a an open-ended question because it does say decks. Um, so I think I'm going to narrow it down and say if you had to pick two decks, you know, retro, standard, you know, whichever format you played in, you know, you had to hang them on your wall or those are the only decks you could play in that format for the rest of your life, what would they be? So I'm going to answer this just based on things I've played versus, like, and played kind of regularly versus, you know, things that maybe I've only picked up once or seen. Uh, so I'm the one right off the bat that I know, um, because I got my most points with it at Cups and Challenges, and I just, I loved, and the reason why is because I loved it so much that I played it consistently, um, is Blacephalon GX with Nag- uh, Naganadal, um, specifically the one that played the Naganadal GXs. Um, I've I'm drawing a blank. I think it was 2019. Um, but that deck was just, I don't know. I had so much fun with it. I actually remember whenever I first started going back to um, my now local card shop because I was going to a different card shop before um, Before this, I was playing, um, oh God, Metagross GX and uh, Ultra Necrozma GX. Um, so it was, it was a really fun combo deck and I actually really liked it. I fully blinged it out. Um, went to the the shop I is now my local, played in a tournament there, meeting a bunch of new people, and in the finals I literally was playing against someone playing Blacephalon GX, and it was really close, grindy game, and I just still remember I'm like getting my whole turn set up going, taking 
X amount of minutes, like getting everything set up so next turn I could have game. And they literally goes back to him and they go, uh, mind blown GX, game, good game. I'm like, wait, what? And that was my first introduction to Blissephalon GX. It was brand new at that time. I'm like, wait, what are you? T-? And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. It just takes a free prize card for just one energy. And, um, and everything, and I literally go, can I play that deck? And they're like, sure. So we swapped decks and I, I played it. I was just like, oh my god, this deck is so much fun. And I just, I, I literally played that deck from that point on until pretty much it rotated. I mean, I threw some other decks in here and there, and, um, you know, depending what the metas and stuff were. But it's one that I still actually have built to this day off to the side um, in my, my retro deck collection. So that's, that's my number one. Um, I'm going to let you go because I've got to kind of think about my second deck because I've got a couple extremely old school retro that i really like and then a couple more recent retro decks that i like yeah mine's not going to be so fruitful um one deck i miss the most is obviously mewtwo rillaboom uh being able to play grow eggs skip directly into that stage two power up a wide variety of attackers like uh buzzwolf aramosa um and uh, the Dragonite GX, which was super cool. The Incineroar GX, which I absolutely hated, but <laughs> I was it was necessary to play it just because it stole so many games. Um, I love being able to Tropical Hour GX and just shuffle all my opponent's energy back into their deck. And in a heavy welder format where they've used three or four welders already, being able to just do that and then you know preserve the rest of your board state by being able to Malo and Lana... Um, energy recycler and so on and so forth that deck was so gas i absolutely loved the lines of play it had unfortunately like urshifu was really prevalent then and the only way for this deck to survive without mewtwo or mew3 if you will um was you know non-existent so it was very important to be able to spine your deck not have a weakness and uh just have the widest pool of attacks to use so very very cool very very much so love that deck i have it framed on the wall behind me um just because i'll always remember it and then i'll let you go uh back into your second deck yeah no i love the mu3 decks as well too that was a that's an, actually another up there for me i played a few different variants of that as well too including the row eggs one but um another one that i really liked was guardian but i'm not gonna actually add that to my as my second guardian i played a lot as well um it's just super fun had a lot of answers to things but I'm going to go really, really old school. Um, I've got other favorite decks, but if I'm only picking two, um, it's got to be my 2002 um, Dark Gengar and Dark uh, Crobat deck from the Wizards of the Coast era. Um, just a re- And it's actually not even Dark Gengar. It's more of a Dark Haunter deck with a Dark Gengar added in there. But it's just such a cool retro deck. So for those that don't know, I love Wizards of the Coast era stuff. I've got probably uh, four. 40 Wizards of the Coast decks completely built, non-proxied, and still built. I have like six more that are my goal for this year, um, or for 2023. But that one is just super fun. Um, the babies the in the Neo era were so prevalently played, and this, pretty much what that deck did was you evolved and devolved your Golbats and Crobats, which had an ability that placed damage counters, and you would knock out these 30 HP baby Pokemon because you didn't have to do the baby flip rule because you're just placing damage counters instead of actually attacking it. And you would knock those out. And then dark Haunter had a, an attack that was called callback and it would literally bring the baby Pokemon back, put two damage counters on it. And the next turn you would just evolve and knock it out again. And so it was just like a really cool, 
almost in a way toxic strategy a little bit, but it was really good. And then if you ever went against something that didn't have baby Pokemon, that's where you would go in with the dark um, Gengar, which had an uh, uh, attack that put the Pokemon to sleep, but then it had an ability that um, uh, they had to flip two heads to be able to wake up. Um, so it's just, it's really cool. It had a lot of answers. Um, if you played against someone playing Muck, though, um, that shut off all abilities other than its toxic gas, kind of just automatically lost. Um, it's a deck that I love so much that I, at one point, pre-pandemic, pre-crazy prices, um, I had actually looked into completely, like, full retro blinging out so all first edition shadowless and i started with getting some of the cheaper first editions and then COVID happened and all the prices went through the roof so i was like yeah we're not we're not doing that anymore um we'll build like 30 decks cheaper for that yeah um that's that's super cool i wish i wish i had to play it in earlier formats like i think i have egg wave built and my buddy and i used to play like on um like webcam he was he was in hawaii you know obviously i was here um so we were trying to find times to play in different time zones and stuff like that and it was just hard to link up and he's all military and stuff like that so he's just a super busy guy but you know from what i played in retro it's a lot of fun i do enjoy it you know there's just it doesn't feel like there's a lot of variety in deck building but then you just kind of expand your format and then you have more yeah, so. exactly. And then also one of the big things I did too was um, I built a Wizards of the Coast cube, 600-card cube. So I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to go to Knoxville um, Regional as well, place that's already booked, already set up. I'm bringing my cube. So we've got four people staying with us, and we can play with four more. So if you're listening to this and you're going to Knoxville um, and I don't have spots filled for the cube already, let's link up and play some Wizards of the Coast cube because it's, it's a lot of fun and it provokes a lot of crazy deck building. So. Yeah, that that's there. super cool. I I wish I could go to Knoxville just to do that. That sounds awesome. Make it happen. Right. <laughs> I wish, bro. I wish. All right. Um, gosh, this is it's such an easy decision, but I just <laughs> it sounds so dumb. I'm such a I'm such like a a baby when it comes to the competitive Pokemon TCG. But I don't know. I'd probably have to say Urshifu is like my second deck like and that's not because like i've loved every hour and every game i've played with it it's been the most frustrating deck that i've ever you know had to shuffle up but if i had to live and play in one format forever i'd have to say like chilling rain urshifu was like my favorite like we finally got the keep calling sobbles so it made it so much easier for me to use that shady dealings engine that I was playing four Pokecom, four Evolution Incense, four Level Ball, four Quick Ball in, just because I needed to be able to rotate between my Shady Dealings, and that was just so bad. Uh, <laughs> but after that, you know, I was like, okay, cool, scoop up net, Level Ball, uh, keep calling, and we're chilling. I think that that was my favorite format, specifically the Urshifu deck where I played Energy Switch and Moltres. I was about um, to say. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, like being able to just back-to-back-to-back, you know, find that special energy, move over the dark energy, and then hit with it. And then if I was playing against Shadow Rider, then it's Turbo Moltres time. So um, I'd, I'd have to say that that was like my favorite version of Urshifu, but there's just been so many Urshifu decks I've forced into formats that do and don't work. But I think like my repetition with the deck has made them seem viable. Um, but yeah, Urshifu is definitely up there in my top two decks 
you know, of all time? And this is a really fun question, and I'm super happy that they asked this. Yeah, this is this is awesome to kind of reminisce on this stuff. Um, I love that Urshif, that version of the Urshifu too. It was just I did the same thing. I took that to quite a few events, and just I I really did love that deck as well too. It was a lot of fun before Manaphy. Yeah, <laughs> no, because we had Mew, <laughs> the freaking bench barrier Mew. Uh, it was so bad. Um, but yeah, super fun question. Thank you so much. And if you guys had any other questions, you know, it doesn't need to be as thought provoking as this one. But uh, make sure you hit us up on Twitter at un- or at a PCS underscore pod. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, what you're playing, what your favorite decks of all time might be. Uh, but yeah, definitely hit us up. And you know, as funny as it might seem. We're now going to dive into the longest segment of this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and start this off. And uh, we're going to talk about the PCS Locals. PCS Locals Standard Tourney is tomorrow at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to come play for some Crown Zenith Digital Packs, as well as some Ultimate Guard products, join the Patreon and come hang out with us, man. It's a really good time. Um, we're also going to be announcing the winner of this month's Patreon giveaway during the PCS Locals, which is tomorrow, 6 p.m. PST. And this month's giveaway features some new Cortex Ultimate Guard sleeves, one brand new Synergy Boulder deck box. It can hold 100 cards, which is pretty cool. And we have some products from Swift Lifestyles as well. So this is going to be a pretty hefty package and a sweet pull for one of our Patreon. Again, if you want to be a part of this giveaway... All you got to do is join the Patreon. You still have time. Yeah, absolutely. And we have some brand new tiers for our Patreon. While we stay on the topic of, you know, our Patreon Discord update and so on and so forth. And Justin and I are going to take turns kind of reading them verbatim and expanding on the benefits of these new packages. Justin, why don't you go ahead and lead it off? Yeah, so as Drew said, we kind of um, we've been working on this for for quite a while now, uh, revamping this, and we're we're super super excited to be able to finally kind of start, you know, releasing this to everyone. Um, but anyways, so the first tier is called the local. Um, it's our two dollar a month tier. Um, this tier gets you into the Discord, uh, access to our locals, um, which is like Drew said tomorrow, uh, which is a monthly online tourney where we rotate uh, around formats between standard and GLC. This tier also gets you one entry into our monthly giveaway as well as early access to some sales that I do. Um, For those that don't know, on my Instagram, I've been known for years and years to do sales on cards. Um, So this is kind of going to get you some early access to those cards before I would normally have them. Um, And I'm also, for those that don't know, um, I also do discounts on the Patreon for you guys, or for people buying through the Patreon. But also, going back into this, exclusively in the Discord, as well as an even deeper discount from InkedGaming.com. So normally you would get 10% discount. Um, we also have a bigger discount for anyone needing anything from InkedGaming.com for the local tier. Yep. And the next new tier we have is the Competitor. It's a $5 a month patronage, um, if you will. Um, in addition to all of the benefits from the local tier, the competitor package gives you five entries to our monthly giveaway as opposed to the standard one. And you get access to our care packages every three months. So after three months of being in this tier, um, you will get a care package from the PCS podcast. And this will consist of stickers, pins, some packs, and then some other goodies that we have in production at that time. I know that Justin and I are working very, very hard to have a variety of cool stuff for all of our Patreon and Discord members and stuff like that. So 
this is definitely a really cool addition to you know our pre-existing tier which was just two dollars to get you in yeah and i'll add to that too um we did leak or i i leaked um a couple of those items into our discord as well so if you go there and kind of backtrack in the patreon section discord you can see some of those cool items that we didn't mention um and hopefully or not hopefully but there will be also some some ultimate guard products um as well in these care packages since they are a sponsor of the show um so throwing that in there as well um you know it's going to rotate as well so there'll be all kinds of different things um just really cool you know really cool incentive there um next up we have the day two which is $10 a month. Um, in addition to the benefits of the competitor tier, the day two tier package gives you 10 entries to our monthly giveaway instead of the one or five, plus a bonus episode starring you. Every Patreon in this tier will get to record one episode each per session or per season with uh, Drew and myself. After six months at this tier, you will receive one piece of merchandise from our Patreon shop. Merchandise consists of hats, play mats, t-shirts, and other items um, yet to be determined which will all be showcased very, very soon in our Discord. Yeah, and if you've checked out our bonfire shop, um, the the t-shirts and the merchandise will consist of very similar uh, prints and quality to what we have there. Um, if you wanted to support the podcast any way you want, go ahead and check out our bonfire shop, and you can buy all the merchandise you want. But after six months of being in the day two tier, you will get one piece of merchandise from... Um, a hand-selected package of stuff that we will have to offer people who are a part of this tier. Yep, exactly. And there's there's a lot of cool stuff in the works, man. I I can't wait till it all starts showing up. Yeah, for sure. And then finally, we have the champ package. This is twenty dollars a month. In addition to all of the benefits in the local, the competitor, the day two. You get in the champ package um, everything before then, as well as 15 entries to our monthly giveaway. And after six months at this tier, the PCS podcast will pay for your entry to one Pokemon TCG regional championship, the standard entry package. But that seems like a really cool bonus. Or, you know, if you're not, you know, a traveling competitor now or yet, um, we will offer you. Uh, one tournament legal copy of the most recent world championship deck and we'll let you pick you know first or second place doesn't matter if it's you know masters juniors seniors um, but we will build it for you at base rarity sleeve it up in ultimate guard stuff and send it to you after six months at being in this tier this is kind of a really cool thing you know our mo for the pcs podcast is to be that transitional information piece to help you transition from being, you know, the casual fun deck builder and give you more insight into, you know, competitive and top level play. And with the champ package, although it is $20 a month, we want to be able to get you to go compete, cover some of your costs, or at least put a very competitive deck into your hands. Um, and that's what we're really striving to do. Yeah, we, we want to, you know, we're not just sitting here going, hey, give us money. We actually want to give back to you guys as well. And these are things we thought that would be great opportunities as well as value for um, our Patreon members. And, I mean, you get to choose between first or second deck. So if there's if a deck that finishes and it's, say, it's Lugia, you know, Lugia V-Star, and 
you want to build Lugia V-Star, we will build it for you. We'll all all standard legal. It won't be any of those cheap $10, $15 world championship decks. It'll be 100% all legit cards. You can take it and you can go play. Um, I, that was just something that, you know, Drew and I were like, what can we do that's above and beyond? And that that I thought was really cool. And that was actually, I'll, I'll give credit to Drew on that one. That was That was 100% him on that. Yeah, I just, I love getting more players involved in IRL play. You know, I can't, um, I can't wake you up to go, you know, take time away from your families and your jobs and stuff like that, because obviously that's not my goal. But if I could put the cards in your hands, you know, at least you get to play with like your friends and your family. Um, And I think that the champ package does just that. But just to reiterate, because you get all the benefits from day two, from the competitor, from the local package... You know, you're getting a whole bunch of entries to the monthly giveaway, which could get you free stuff like sleeves, deck boxes, dice, stickers, pins. You get a piece of merchandise. You also get to be featured in an episode as well as a potential regional championship paid for or, a, you know, a championship winning deck. Uh, you know, and I, I really do feel like I'm hitting really hard on this package, but I just want people to understand... I'm not trying to make you pay twenty dollars a month just so I could have twenty dollars a month. <laughs> I want to I want to get more players involved. I want more people to be excited about the stuff that the PCS podcast is doing for transitional players moving into that competitive package. Yeah, I I think if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out. It's you know, and maybe even reach out to some of our current patreons and see what they um what they think of it they we have a really awesome group so far um i love talking with these guys all the time um our tournament that i i actually participated in my first locals last month and i had an absolute blast playing in it Um, i'm kind of sad that i won't be able to make tomorrow's i don't think um but yeah it's just it's a it's a really good time just doing that stuff alone so um it's a really cool community and you know we hope to maybe see you guys there absolutely and we'd love to grow the community too so don't be a stranger hit up our dms if you want to find out a way to get into the discord you know just one dm away that's all you need at pcs underscore pod it will get you there uh you know and i think that basically wraps it up thank you everyone who's already a patreon if you want to check out all these benefits and perks it's laid out very cleanly in the um patreon.com uh slash pcs podcast uh then feel free to just peruse the other benefits that we have available on that website. But let's go ahead and dive into the prediction for Orlando. You're going to be here, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I will be be in Orlando for this event. Um, it's only So what are you playing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know yet. Well, I, I can't I can't guess that deck if you tell me I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're not going to see me win the whole thing. I I'd, I'd love to say that, but my goal is is top sixty four. If I get top sixty four, I'm ecstatic, especially with how many players we got right now. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be a pretty deep pool. Um, yeah, since you don't want to talk about what you're playing, um, I <laughs> think that. Hmm. I want to talk about it, but I just I also I know, don't want to talk do. about it. I know you do, and I have a pretty good feeling about what you're going to play, too. So I'm going to stifle you a little bit and say Lost Box Gudra mm. wins this event. <laughs> it's honestly not a horrible choice. So I, I will say um, one of my choices is a Gudra deck. Um, probably not the Lost Box version, just because I have more experience with the Arceus. 
but that's also down the list of options. Um, I've got one more team practice before this event because unfortunately my wife is going out of town next week and so I am on 100% baby duty for a week and won't get a practice in for a week. Um, so yeah, um, that's a good call. I'll just say that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Um, What's going to win? Uh, I'm going to say, just based on the strength of it, if it has good matchups and variants, I'm going to say Lost Box with the new baby Zamazenta tech. Um, I don't know exactly what build, particularly, um, whether it be Rayquaza or Gudra or... Um, you know, one of the other variants, but I think there'll be a lost box with the new baby Zamazenta in it and, and Sky Steel Stone, or Sky Steel Stone, um, because in my in my testing and seeing the stuff uh, at that ETB case tournament, those cards are very strong. Yeah, no, for sure. I've seen. It was really funny. We had we had Nick on last week. And he's like, yeah, if people start playing Sky Seal Stone and Star Me, like I'll do- I'll donate twenty five dollars. I watched two streams on Twitch this weekend where people were trying it with Star Me no. and things like Volcarona and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh yes, it's gonna happen. Yes, all all it needs to do is like be be on the surface somewhere else, and I'm I'm putting twenty five dollars into my local probably youth Pokemon league. <laughs> There you go. I mean, at least it's instead turn. of your own pocket. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, they're just gonna spend it to buy my singles, anyways. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full no. circle. Yeah, the parents can be less mad at me this time. Um, but uh, I, I digress. Uh, I think that uh, that basically wraps it up for the pod. You know, you're picking. You know, Lost Zamazenta. I'm picking Lost Gudra. We'll see who comes out on top. Justin having the solid pick last week uh, definitely puts the pressure on me. But let's go ahead and dive into the plugs, and let's get out of here. Yeah, guys. If you guys want to follow me on uh, Twitter, I am PokeBrewsTCG. On Instagram, I'm just at PokeBrews. Um, that's probably going to be the best place to contact me, but if you contact me on Twitter, obviously I'll reach out, reach back out to you. From there, you guys can find my link tree to things like my TCG player affiliate link, as well as my link to Swift Lifestyles that hooks me up using code PokeBrews um, for 15% off your entire order. If you guys want to get some official PCS podcast merchandise, you can go to Bonfire, um, bonfire.com slash store slash PCS pod. Um, and then we are still working on our Twitch as well. Um, hopefully we'll have that up sooner than later and get some games in for you guys, um, some tabletop games, and start streaming this uh, podcast live. Um, that's going to be twitch.tv slash PCS podcast. Um, and we are on to you, Drew. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize for the whole Twitch thing. I've been really, really working hard on the <laughs> cosmetics for the Twitch because I completely rebranded everything on there to be, you know, BCS podcast oriented. But I just don't really, I'm not really in love with the way the layout works. And I want it to be really clean because I feel like tabletop gameplay is going to be the future of TCG when PTCGO kind of dissolves. So that's on me. I'm being super picky. But. I did come back to YouTube last week and I posted two new videos on uh, Gyarados EX as well as Arcanine EX and those were super fun to make. Definitely got to work on my spiel during those videos just because I'm a little rusty. 
Uh, but yeah, it was fun to be back. So make sure you're checking out my YouTube at Katana TCG. Same on Twitter, Katana TCG as well. Make sure you're checking out our partner, Ink Gaming. Use the code PCSPOD for 10% off your entire order. And then make sure you're looking at the Ultimate Guard products on that website as well. They have been a very cool partner to work with. And if you want to join our Patreon, again, it's patreon.com slash Podcast. Just getting into the local tier gets you entries to the monthly giveaway as well as access to the PCS locals. That about wraps it up for the show. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. See you guys after Orlando. 